Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoy this episode. Well, good morning. How are you guys? It is good to be here with you all. My name is Chris Kretzu. I'm the campus pastor, and it's sunny outside. What an incredible gift. Yes. Uh, We... um, Starting a brand new, or we started a brand new series last week called Four Short Words. And, and during the month of June, we're basically looking at the entirety of the Bible and we're trying to see how can we understand the overarching story of what God is doing in Scripture and also the overarching story of what's happening in our own individual lives. And there's actually a lot of uh, a crossover. The, the, the four words we're looking at, they, they explain Scripture as a whole, but they also explain our own journey and experiences. And um, last week we looked at, uh, we started off looking at the word of is the first word, looking at of, who is our source? Who are we derived from? And so we talked about that for a little bit, and, and we're going to continue on this week uh, looking at our second word. Um, it was a busy week between schools ending and my son graduating from elementary school and parties and events and all kinds of different things, and so there's a lot of errands to run. And uh, at one point, we ended up at Target. And uh, you guys... Um, just, it's so hard to buy exactly what you need at Target. Uh, it's maybe the worst named store ever uh, because nobody just hits the Target. It's like just general vicinity of whatever it is that we want. And we made the, the, the crucial uh, error, a critical error of deciding we were going to divide and conquer, which meant that we both found a lot of extra things that we wanted to buy versus just like us working together as a couple to buy things we didn't need. Uh, but at the end of the trip, we had that moment where we were trying to find each other. And have you guys done like the, the aisle search where you like keep walking, looking down the aisles, and then somehow you miss each other in the passing? And, and there's this sense where eventually I got to a place where I just, as... <laughs> like, Marco, where are you at, you know, and uh, eventually we were able to get connected, but it's like just, it's an annoying thing, because it's like, I know you're here, I know you're not even far, but there is this stuff in the way, these aisles in the way, we've had it happen with our kids too, where, you know, they get distracted, or looking at cereal in the grocery aisle too long, or whatever it is, and we move around to the next aisle, and then you just hear the footsteps running to come and find you, because they don't want that, that distance, they don't want that gap between, and And the reality is, is that we have all felt this distance between us and others before. We've always, we've all felt there was a time when there was something between us. And sometimes it's it's literal, you know, aisles in a grocery store or whatever it might be. Sometimes it's miles distance. You're on a work trip away from family or loved ones. Um, But sometimes it's more uh, existential. You know, there's this reality for a lot of us where we can be sitting right next to each other. right next to a person, a loved one, a spouse, a friend, a family member, and we can be right next to them and still feel like we're miles apart. We can still feel like there's something between us. The physical proximity doesn't even always eliminate what it is that's between us and others. And of course, it's not just in our relationships with people, it's also in our spiritual lives as well. Oftentimes, I I don't know that any of us would 
be willing to say, you know what? No, I've always felt really close to God. We all have moments. We all have a lot of moments where we feel like God is distant. Like there is space between us and our Heavenly Father. Like we're on the, doing the Zoom call kind of thing where you're starting to set up a Zoom call and it's like, I can't hear you. Can you hear me? It's like I have that conversation with God all the time. God, I'm, I'm talking. Uh, I don't hear you responding. Uh, you know, there's a sense of searching, longing, waiting to hear what's happening. There's something, some disconnect, something between us. And this word between is the word that we're going to be looking at today. This is the second word in our four short words series. Like I said, last week we looked at this idea of uh, us being of the source of creation, the source of life, the source of love. That is where we are derived from, made in the image of God. And then some things happened, which we didn't get into too much last week. Last week, we just looked at Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Today, we're looking at Genesis chapter 3 and the rest of the Old Testament. So (laughs) wish me luck, and I'll wish you luck also. No, Uh, but it's important because this word between, it defines so much. And as we look at or as we think about the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, I bet as we talk today, you'll recognize almost every word that I put up on the screens. You'll be familiar with it. But this word between will give us a word that helps us understand all of these things. And so I want to try and make that point in just a minute. But it's so important for us to recognize that something shifted In the beginning, there was no separation. There was no division. There was nothing between. In the beginning, there was nothing between you and anything that mattered. And then something happened, and there was something between you and everything that mattered. There was a huge shift. In the beginning, there was perfect intimacy, perfect love, perfect fulfillment, wholeness, peace. Shalom is a word, nothing missing. Nothing broken is how a lot of people define that word shalom. It's perfection. And then something happened, and there was something between all of it from that point moving forward. What is it that's in this between space, between what once was and what should be, and how can we get back to that place one day of perfection? I'm going to read Genesis chapter 3. This is the message paraphrase. It says, I did this in the first service too. The serpent was clever, more clever than any wild animal that God had made. He spoke to the woman. Do I understand that God told you not to eat from any tree in the garden? Which, I just want to put a pin in this here. This is cynicism. That's what's happening here. Not sin, cynicism. When he says, did I understand that God told you not to eat from any tree in the garden? That's not what God said. There is like this twisted perspective of, well, I guess you can't do anything then because you can't do one thing. Cynicism. (laughs) Be careful, you guys. Okay. Uh, The woman said to the serpent, not at all. We can eat from the trees in the garden. It's only about the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, don't eat from it. Don't even touch it or you will die. The serpent told the woman, you won't die. God knows that from the moment you eat from that tree, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing everything, ranging all the way from good to evil. 
Other translations talk about this as the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Essentially, the ability to judge between what is right and what is wrong. We love to judge, right? This is where this came from. This ability to judge everything, but we don't have perfect love like our Heavenly Father. It's where we get into trouble. We're skewed in this perspective. It says, when the woman saw that the tree looked like good eating and realized what she would get out of it, she'd know everything. She took and ate the fruit and then gave some to her husband, and he ate. Immediately, the two of them did see what's really going on. They saw themselves naked. They sewed fig leaves together as makeshift clothes for themselves. And when they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man and his wife hid in the trees of the garden, hid from God. God called to the man, where are you? As if God didn't actually know. God knew. He was inviting connection, closeness. He said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. It's interesting and it's not, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but it's just interesting as you start to think about what is sin, there's aspects of this creation story that help us understand. What happens here is they live in this perfect garden in perfect harmony with all of nature. And then they take this step. They take this step to say, I want to do things my way, not the way that God has uh, invited us to do things. God has commanded us to do things. God has modeled for us to do things. I want to do it. I think that my way might be a little bit better. And all of a sudden, shame comes in. They realize that they're naked. And so they take leaves from a tree, and it says they sew them together to make clothes to cover themselves with. And then they hide behind trees to stay clear from God. And it's just interesting to me, and I think it's really important to, for us to recognize that sin in most of our lives is taking something that is on its own good and twisting it to be used in an unhealthy or in a wrong way. Sin oftentimes is not uh, showing up. It, uh, it's easy, or it should be easy for us to be like, yeah, don't murder. Got it. That should be an easy one for us. For so many of us, it's just taking things that are good and twisting them and using them for things that they were never intended to be used for. And so there is a separation that comes. Instead of living according to the way that God told them to live, they, they end up using what God had created to hide, to cover their shame. They decide what's good and evil for themselves. They want to have the power to be able to judge between right and wrong, even though they don't have perfect love the way that the Creator does. They rebel against the way that God created things to work, and there were consequences that come from that. Uh, there's consequences that come from not uh, functioning the way that we were created to function. It's like... Uh, deciding, you know what, I'm not sure if gravity is true. It's like you're going to lose that battle every time. It will continue to prove, prove itself over and over again. And for us, how do we embrace the way that God has called us to live? We all have these moments where instead of trusting what God says and living this way, we just want to do what we want to do. We want to try it a different way. We think we have a different idea, a better idea. And this is, this is what it is to eat the fruit. This is what it is for us to try and take control of these things on our own. Their eyes were opened, their perspective shifted, and ultimately they were pushed out of the Garden of Eden. From that moment, 
in the garden, sin separated us from this closeness, this intimacy with our Heavenly Father, with our Creator. It, there was something ever since that moment that has been between us and God, between us and other people, between us and creation. We could not have that intimacy that we originally had. And so what I want to look at is, is this story that continues through the Old Testament because God doesn't just leave it. God doesn't just say, well, you really screwed that one up. Good luck. The Old Testament and all of the scriptures ultimately are this story of God's pursuit of us. And as we look at the Old Testament specifically, the first half of the Bible, we see God specifically working to close this gap, to close this space between us, this distance between us and our Heavenly Father, between Him and His beloved children. And it shows up, there's four different ways that God does this. Throughout all the Old Testament, His children just are on this broken record. It's like they, they trust God, and then they get a little overconfident, and then they do things the way they want to do, and then they get into a lot of problems, and then they cry out for God's help, and he saves them, and then they're good, and then they get a little overconfident. It's just this loop, and we all do the loop. We love the loop. We're good at the loop. We're not alone. And it's important for us to see this because these four things that I want to show us are not only rhythms that happen in the Old Testament, things that happen in the Old Testament, but they're, they're, they're symbols and pictures of the way that God is pursuing us and trying to close the distance between. Okay, the Old Testament is a story of in-betweens. The first one is commands and covenants. And we see this start off in Genesis chapter 15. God is speaking to Abraham, and God promises. He makes his covenant with Abraham, and he says, you are going to have so many kids. They're going to outnumber sand on the seashore. They're going to outnumber stars in the sky. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And at this point, Abraham is like, I don't know how in the world you're going to do this. I'm way too old to have kids. Like, there's this whole thing. And God makes this promise, and he says, if you trust and if you have faith and you live a way that I've called you to live, that we will see this happen. God makes this covenant with Abraham, and it goes on, and it's not long before God upholds his end of the bargain. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob who wrestles with God, physically wrestles with the angel of the Lord, and he's renamed Israel. And then stick with me. Israel has 12 kids, which is exhausting, I imagine. I don't know. I've got two. Yikes. Uh, his 12 children are named uh, the 12 tribes of Israel, and they become this great nation. And so it's only a few generations before God upholds his promise, his end of the covenant that he made with Abraham. But these chosen people, they don't live the way that they're supposed to live. They rebel, disobey, they make mistakes, do their own thing, they break their end of the covenant. And ultimately, as they come out of slavery, God delivers the Ten Commandments. We have the commandments and the covenants. The Ten Commandments are this way of God. It's not intended, I think a lot of us, we think of it as this list of, um, of to-dos or not to-dos. It's like this list of like trying to squash all the fun. But ultimately, the Ten Commandments were given as a way to say, hey, here's a way, here's a roadmap. Live this way. Interact with people this way. Respect your neighbor, prioritize God, uh, all of these different things. If you live this way, it'll lead you towards the path that you're supposed to be on. It'll help close this distance between 
And it's worth noting, I think, that there's ten commandments, right? Last time I checked. The first four of the commandments, we don't have time to look at all of them today. The first four all support Jesus' statement on what the greatest commandment of all is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The first four commandments reflect that. And this, the last six commandments reflect the second half of Jesus' statement. When he said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The last six all have to do with how we love our neighbor. This is the same message through and through. And Jesus is saying, God is saying to Israel, saying, if you will live by this, it'll help close the distance between you and I. Humans have a hard time relating to things that we can't interact with or touch or experience. But these commands, these laws, it wasn't even just the 10. They ended up coming up with 600 other ones just to make sure they didn't break the 10. Like these 10 are so important, let's not even get close. So they made rules to make sure that they didn't break the rules. But it was hard to, to live in a way that fully embraced and honored that. One of the things that's important for us to recognize is that it's, it's, it's difficult for all of us. This aspect of our relationship with God, with faith, that is challenging. Faith, I can't imagine, is easy for anyone. And if you think that faith is easy, I would have questions about what you think faith is. Faith is, is belief in what you cannot see. It's hope that there is more than you can experience and you can tangibly tangibly touch. I heard one pastor say that the opposite of faith is sight. It's being able to, it's, yeah, I don't have to have faith. It's right there. I see it. I can touch it. It's so crucial for us to understand that this is a challenge for us. And so this first thing that God does is a way to help close this space between us, but it's not enough. And God wants to provide us something physical. So the second thing that we see, the second way that God chooses to close this gap between us is through tabernacles, temples, and priests. You guys heard of these words so far? Tabernacles is maybe the one that you may be less familiar with. A tabernacle is essentially a portable temple, okay? It was a big old tent that took the place until they had time and a space to build the temple as it was supposed to be built. And the tabernacle and the temple, they were the place that was a physical representation of God's presence. And all throughout the scriptures, you see stories about God's presence dwelling in the tabernacle, but it still wasn't like it was in the garden, they weren't able to walk with God. In fact, in the tabernacle and in the temple, the priest was able to go into God's presence one time a year. One man, one time a year. But it was still this way of closing this gap between of God saying, I'm still with you. I'm still pursuing you. I still want to invite you into this relationship. But there was still sin and brokenness that continued to impact our relationship with God. God continued to make ways for them to connect with him. So the third one, the third way that God closed this space between us is through judges and kings, which is also the name of books in the Bible, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the idea of judges and kings. And I just want to say judges, as we think about them, are very different than what judges were in the Bible. There was no like robes and gavels. Most of the judges were warriors and they 
oftentimes made decisions that would seem very questionable to us at this point. Uh, if you ever want to read awesome stories that should be made into movies, read about the judges. Crazy, crazy lives. But God uh, institutes these things, judges and kings, because again, he is trying to close the space between him and his children. And judges were identified as people, spiritual leaders who were uh, trustworthy, who were connected to, to God, that were able to say, hey, we will help make decisions. When we're wrestling with what to do or how things should be dealt with, the judges would help. But Israel was so frustrated because as they looked around at the other countries, the other countries all had something that they didn't have. They all had kings. And Israel really wanted a king. And they asked God for a king. And do you know what God said? No, you don't need a king. You don't want a king. Kings are corrupt. They're problematic. You don't need a king. You have me. I will continue to speak to you. I will continue to guide you. This is me paraphrasing. But this was the conversation over and over again. And Israel kept asking. And so do you know what God did? He said, okay, I'll give you a king. And God actually identified the first king. It's really, it's, it's crazy to think about God's, God being willing to give us something that he knows isn't actually best for us. He allows us to experience these things, even though it's not the best thing for us. It's not the right step for us. But God identifies a king in 1 Samuel. There was a lot of kings in Israel's time. There was 42 kings and rulers, and only 10 of them were good. Actually, most of them weren't even just bad. They were actually evil. Over and over again, these kings would come into power. These rulers would come into power, and they would do all these evil things, terrible things. Because God never intended for kings or political rulers to be able to heal a spiritual problem that we have. We can have good kings and good, good rulers, don't get me wrong, but that's never going to actually close the gap. It's never going to close the distance between us and our Heavenly Father. And so God initiated a fourth thing, and this will be the last one that we look at. And we're flying through the Old Testament, you guys. I just want you to know. The fourth thing is prophets. Now, when we think about prophets, a lot of times we think of prophecy. And we think of what happened a lot in the 80s and 90s about people saying, well, you know, the world's going to end, and this year, on this date, and this time, we, we think about that as prophecy of, of declaring what's happening in the future. And there was some of that in the Old Testament prophets, but the majority of what the prophets did is they spoke on behalf of God to his children to say, wake up, you're missing it, you're doing it wrong, you're religious, but you're not living differently. You're doing the actions, but your hearts don't reflect it. You're treating people poorly. You're going outside of the bounds. They continue to speak out to people, to challenge them, to move to where they should go so that they could close that gap between them and their heavenly father. And Israel did not like their kings, but Israel really hated the prophets. They killed almost all of them. And if they weren't killed, they were stoned, beaten, chased off. And the prophets were weird like most spiritual leaders. <laughs> the prophets were weird. People, were, they were always lived on the outside of town. They were always kind of outcasts. Uh, there's a lot of prophets it talks about in the scripture, but they did weird things to, to get people's attention and also to illustrate what God wanted them to learn. 
Isaiah, for a time, walked around naked. Jeremiah cried constantly in public, literally wept. Hosea was uh, told to marry a prostitute, to give an object lesson of God's faithfulness to his children and their unfaithfulness to him. This was what one of the prophets did. A prophet named Ezekiel laid on the ground for 390 days and ate bread, which sounds like a vacation to some of you. (laughs) But again, you got to read the whole story because the bread had to be cooked in a fire that was fueled by poop. Yeah, that's terrible, right? You guys heard of Ezekiel bread? You guys seen that in the stores before? Yeah, there's a thing called Ezekiel bread. Uh, on the bag, it says Ezekiel 4.9, and it uses the same recipe as what's found in Ezekiel 4.9. But it doesn't say Ezekiel 4.12, which is where it says it's supposed to be cooked over a poop fire. Uh, it's crazy. But all of these different things are ways to, for different reasons we don't have time to get into. But every single one of these things, all four of these things, this isn't just like old, crazy things. As you read through the Old Testament, as you try and understand why did all these sacrifices and the temples and why were there kings and judges and the prophets, all four of these things and so much space in between, all of this was so that God could close the distance between him and us. All of these were ways for God to invite us closer again, closer again, but none of them worked perfectly for sure. Many of them didn't even work well. God continued to make efforts, to make distance. Ultimately, we find this reality of our own lives, this pursuit of trying to figure out why is there a distance between us and others? Why is there a distance between us and God? And we recognize that there is space between. We recognize that there's always between. And we try and figure out all the different ways. Maybe a king will help us. Maybe a a hobby. Maybe power. Maybe influence. Maybe pleasure. Maybe whatever it is. Maybe it'll help fill this empty space. But the empty space is actually just distance between us and the source of life. Us and the divine, us and God. And then a lot of people, Christians and non-Christians alike, they start to have this kind of existential crisis. What's wrong with me? Why isn't my my life working? What's missing? something, Something is off. And it's so important for us to realize that the very base level, what is off is the distance between us and our Heavenly Father. And so for us as Christians, the journey is, how do I continue to close the space between us? How do I continue to close the space? I, I believe in Jesus. I've put my trust in who God is. I want to live a different way. And so what does it look like for me to continually close the space? But it gets frustrating because... We never quite can figure it out, but we're in good company. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 wrote, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. If only we could be as spiritual as Paul. I don't think any of us would say, yeah, I'm, I'm as good as Paul. I mean, this might, we might be in, in the vein of this. 
Paul, the apostle who planted all of the first churches outside of Jerusalem, Paul is struggling with the same things that we're struggling with. It's like, how many of us in this room, I recognize not everybody here would say, I'm a Christian. Maybe you're exploring or wrestling with your faith. But if you're a Christian, I bet many of you, like myself, would be like, yeah, I want to do the right thing. I just keep not doing the right thing. There's this issue I keep struggling with. There's this thing I keep stumbling over. There's this problem I keep tripping on. And we all have those things because there's an aspect of who we are that is still broken. The sin still does affect our lives. But I know a lot of people who think I am a sinful person and that's just the way it is. And I need you to know, and if you can take one thing away from this today, I would want it to be this thing. That is not all that there is. That is not how God sees you. The good news of the gospel is that sin no longer has the power to come between us and God. Sin has lost its power to come in between us and God. Sin has lost its power to keep us from a connection with God. So Chris, why do I keep sinning then? Why do I keep making these mistakes? Why do I keep wandering off? Well, because we're not perfect yet. But in Christ, we have been given the strength to overcome the power of sin in our lives. The Holy Spirit lives in us to help us overcome the power of sin, to help us find freedom from addictions and habits, to help us to start to live different ways, to help renew our hearts and our minds, to think different ways. These are invitations that we're invited We're invited to step into this journey of closing this distance between us and God. We no longer are slaves to sin. I want to read Romans 6. I'm going to read the whole chapter because I think it just, it fits. It'll be up on the screens here. Well, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Which from the first line, we kind of get this idea that we have some say over how we act. Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we, joined, uh, we, when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Again, Janina talked about baptism earlier. It's coming up on the 25th. Is another passage that just explains the importance of baptism. If you've not been baptized or maybe you haven't been baptized as an adult, or, or you're at a place where you've made a, a new commitment, and you want to take that step and say, I'm all in. I'm leaving my old life behind. I'm moving towards my new life. I would love to be able to help you take that step. He goes on, he says, uh, since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might what? Lose its power in our lives. We're no longer what? Slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. There's this reality for us that it's so important for us to understand. Um, and I, 
there's a theological word. I should have put it on a slide, and I didn't even talk about it in first service. But this word sanctification. Everybody say it together. Sanctification. What a fun word to say. Sanctification. Uh, there is this sanctification that happens the moment that we put our trust in Jesus. We are made clean. And there is this ongoing sanctification that happens as we continue to move past and grow past and stop living the old way and realize I don't have to do those things anymore. I'm no longer a slave. Sin no longer has power over me. The Holy Spirit lives in me and is able to help me move past these things. I am not by identity a sinner, broken, distant from God. I am now a new creation. Psalm 132, I think, talks, David talks about how uh, God has removed his sin, his iniquities, as far as the east is from the west. When God looks at you, he does not see a sick, broken, gross person. He sees a child that is made new. God looks at you and he sees Christ, his grace wrapped over you and around you. I know someone, I ran into him a couple weeks ago. I don't know him super well. Um, he's a Christian and um, ran into him at the park. And I asked him how he's been doing. And, and he said, well, things were going pretty bad. And I just, you know, it turned around once I just really remembered what a piece of crap I am. And he was dead serious. And I was totally confused. And he said, I'm just like, I'm the worst, man. I'm so sinful. I'm so like gross to God. Like, I don't know why God would love me. And as soon as I realized that, it's just like, <sighs> and I still to this day, I can't really comprehend what the relief was that he got. And I just wanted to scream at him. That's not what God sees. That's not who you are. You're God's child. And he's been trying to close the gap between the two of you since the beginning of time. When he looks at you, he doesn't see a gross, sinful, broken person. And if anyone in this room thinks that that's what God sees, I just need you to know that's the enemy talking to you. That's the cynicism coming back from the garden saying, God can't really love you, right? You remember what you did last night? Do you remember what you thought about that person? Do you remember what you said in that situation? You really think that you're loved by God? You think that you're okay with God? Do we make broken, sinful choices? Yes. Do they define us? No, absolutely not. And so often in our lives, we still have this battle with habits, addictions, choices. But so much of the suffering in our lives, it doesn't come because we make bad choices. It comes because we hold on to them and carry them with us. We, we keep them internalized in our minds and in our hearts. We make a mistake, we screw up, and and we just hold it inside and say, well, I'm just going to bury that one down deep. I'm just going to keep that one secret. Nobody needs to know. And scripture talks about this thing, and, and churches have been doing this for 
centuries and centuries and centuries. And it's so important for us to understand the power of this. And the word is confession. And it doesn't have to look like being in a booth, confessing to a priest, but it can. It can look like you talking with a friend. It can look like you sharing something in small group. It can look like you talking with a spouse or a family member. It's just saying out loud, this is what's happening. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I did. And it's not because that person has the power to forgive you, although maybe if you've wronged them, it's because you don't need to carry that and hold it. And we internalize these things and, and they start to take all of our energy because we're trying to hold it and carry it with us. And we're piling new things on and we're trying to hide it. And we're spending all of this energy. And before we know it, we've got armfuls of things that don't actually have to define us. They don't actually have power over us. The power of sin has been broken. We are no longer slaves to sin. But they keep us busy, overwhelmed, distant from God, space between us, space between others. Confession is one of the ways that we close the gap of relational disconnection between us and God. The only gap that remains between us and God is the one that we create, the one that we allow. Over and over again through Scripture, we see nothing can separate us. No power, no darkness, no spirit, no death, no life. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But we choose to hold on to these things, and, and it blocks our view of God. It's so crucial we understand this. So I wonder what it looks like for us to bring in a practice that helps us remember as we look at the story of the scripture, the story of the Bible, that God has been trying to close the distance between us all along. We are of God, made in the image of God. There is something that happened between us and God continues to try and close that space. And I think that one of the ways that we can participate in that is through confession. And there is a word or a process that I want to invite us to participate in right now. Don't get nervous. You don't have to say anything out loud. Um, something that a, uh, a priest about 500 years ago uh, named Ignatius Loyola started, and it's called the Prayer of Examine. There's five steps to it. And uh, if you want, you can take a picture or write down the notes. But it, for just like two minutes, we're going to actually go through this process together silently in your own hearts and in your own minds. There's five different steps. And my encouragement to you would be to say, hey, I'm going to do this each night. You can do this in a period of about five minutes. You could take an hour to do this. It's up to you, however spiritual you might feel on any given day. But what would it look like for you to actually go through this process each night? The first is to become aware of God's presence. Very specific, become aware of his presence. God is already present. We're not asking him to show up or to come close. We're actually becoming aware of how close he already is, as close as the breath that we breathe. I know some people that they have a candle, that from time to time they'll light a candle, not because it smells pretty, but they'll light the candle because when they light the candle, that flame is just 
a way that they visually remember that God is there, that God is present. So become aware of God's presence. The second one is to review the day with gratitude. This is a little bit of what Jeff talked about earlier in our first worship set. What does it look like to, to actually look back, reflect on this past week, reflect on this day, and just look at the goodness that we've experienced? And let me just like remove the spiritual language from it. You know what's good? Tacos are good. Music is good. The love of a friend is good. There's all kinds of good things. Celebrate them all. Be grateful for all of those things. They are all good. Third step is identify a high and a low. The original language was to identify a desolation, which is you know, some way that you have ruined things, broken things, made poor choices. It's important for us to recognize, what have I done today that was actually, we can call it a win, Something I got right today, because we don't do that very often, not get things right. We don't acknowledge it. But take a moment and see, and I, I was able to do this. I was able to accomplish this thing. I didn't let myself devolve into this broken person. I actually made the right choice. And identify a low. We're somewhere that I screwed up. I missed it. I lost my temper. And then take a minute to pray through that. God, forgive me for being impatient and angry. Would you please help me discover ways to avoid that tomorrow? Alternatives. And then the fifth thing would be to look forward to collaborating with God tomorrow. And I, I think that the verbiage here, you could change it if you want, but it's not just look forward to tomorrow. It's look forward to collaborating with God, saying, God, I recognize that you are at work and you're choosing to partner with me. And together, we get to step into tomorrow. And together, things could look different. Together, I could respond differently than I would if I was on my own. And so I just want to take a minute. I'm going to set a timer on my phone. And I want to invite us to take just a minute to go through these steps. It's quiet, silent. You can go through it at your own pace. But we're doing a mini version of it today. I'm going to give us a minute and 10 seconds. Don't ask why. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll start. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today and I hope that I get to see you soon.